0: You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com.
1: I'm glad that you're here this morning, that you decided to come to church. I believe uh, the Lord is going to speak something to your heart. And I think we just have this cool mashup happening today. And I really want to encourage you. I'm going to introduce somebody to you special today uh, to share an opportunity for you. And here's what I'm going to charge you with is that when God brings an opportunity to your doorstep, sometimes we will spend so much time evaluating it that we'll miss it. And what we really need to do is just step in. What we really need to do is just say, you know what, I can do that. I can make that happen. I can bring that opportunity. And can I tell you, church, every time as a church that we've stepped in, God has just blown the doors off. Right? We took 100 shoes to Tanalea. We sponsored over 70 kids. Like, what what God does when you just say, you know what, yes, I'm going in, is awesome. And so what I want to encourage you with today is just... To not hesitate when it comes to what God's calling you. So as he shares this morning, if you feel something burn inside of you, don't all of a sudden be like, yeah, but how is that going to fit in my schedule? You know what? Let God be your schedule and just invite him to move and do something in your life. So would you do me uh, a favor this morning and welcome Giovanni from the Dream Center to share this morning?
0: Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Josh. Uh, Appreciate you to be here this morning at Banner Church. Uh, My name is Giovanni. I'm from the East Valley Dream Center. Uh, We're associated with the Phoenix Dream Center. Uh, we kind of recognize that the East Valley uh, needs a dream center there. And what we've been doing for the past five months is my brother and a friend of ours, uh, we sat down in our living room, um, and we just wanted to do something for Jesus Christ. So we, came, we come from Chicago. I was born and raised there, go Bears, um, from Chicago. Um, was born in the inner city. Um, grew up with a single mother, uh, welfare. Sh- we lived in shelters. A very poor Uh, My uncle was a pastor of a church, and then he started reaching out to my mom and started inviting us uh, to the church. And we started noticing in the church they started doing outreaches in the community. Now, back in Chicago, there was a lot of Pentecostal churches and people within their four walls. So people came in with tattoos or jeans, and oh, my goodness, forget about it. Uh, They wanted to keep their kind in the church. Uh, And my uncle kind of recognized, you know, this is early 2000s. We need to make a change within our church. Uh, So we're going to go out in the streets and we're going to grab the prostitutes, we're going to grab the game bangers, we're going to grab the homeless, and we're going to bring them here. And if those people don't like it, then, well, there's a door. He kind of said it like that. Uh, But the church grew tremendously within that. And it became the largest AG church today in the nation because he decided to go out in the streets to do that. Um, And I seen that growing up at 14 years old, how important it is to get out in your community, to get out in your schools, um, to do that. And so we decided in April, you know what, let's go out in Mesa, let's just hand out sandwiches. That's it. We don't have a budget. uh, We don't have money. We don't have a venue. We don't have a building. So we decided the dream center is going to be Pioneer Park in Mesa. This is the dream center right here. My office is right there, the bench right there. That's my office right there. Uh, We decided this is our building. The very first Thursday, no one came. We had so many sandwiches, so many water bottles, no one came. And you want to get discouraged Uh, But we kept going back every Thursday. We went back in the summer, 115-degree weather. We still went there every Thursday passing out. And today, uh, we're feeding over probably 80 to 100 people that are coming out every Thursday to the park. Um, Single mothers, single dads, homeless gang members, some prostitutes that are coming to the park to feed us. And the beautiful thing about this is one of the first things they do is they mention, well, what church are you a part of? They just want an opportunity to get a part of a church church to feel love, uh, because uh, a couple millennials decided, you know what, we want to get outside of our church or building and do something. And I know there's people sitting here today that we sometimes as young people or adults, we just leave it on the pastors in the church to come up with the ideas and do the things. Well, you guys have the ideas. You guys are the people to do that. And your pastors are just waiting for you to bother them with those ideas you have a community all around you to do that. So uh, today I want you to get inspired. Get inspired and encouraged. So that's why we're here today, is because in three weeks we're throwing a conference all about outreach. Uh, we, we hear about leadership conferences and influence. That's great. But this conference is about outreach to inspire you to get outside of your church walls, to get come up with ideas. Uh, we're having Pastor Tommy Barnett's gonna be we're having a dinner, and he's gonna come share with us. Uh, The next day, it's October uh, 17th, October 18th. Pastor Rich Wilkerson from Miami is going to be coming out. Uh, We have the uh, Phoenix Hillsong team is going to be leading us in worship that weekend. Uh, And then Saturday, we have a whole bunch of breakout sessions that are happening. Uh, Luke Barnett, uh, Caden Metcalf, Griffin McGrath, and then Jacob Jester. He's going to be speaking here that Sunday. He's speaking as well. So October 17th, 18th, and 19th is going to be packed out. And we just want to inspire people and encourage people. Uh, like I said, there's a couple of you in here that are just dying diary- that you want to do something for your community, for your school. Well, this is the conference for you. Uh, and I believe that next year, come to this uh, time, Banner Church is going to be packed out because you decided, hey, I want to come up with this idea. I said it last service, and somebody came up and signed up for the conference. They said, I man, I loved it. It's a simple idea. You guys have Old Town here. You got the clubs right here next to you. It's simple. You get water bottles. Put banner church on the water bottles and just go out. You see these people sweating. Hey, come out the club. Here's a water bottle right here. And praise God. Jesus' name. That's it. That's outreach. Yeah. That's getting outside the comfort zone, letting people know that Jesus loves them, not coming down. You're going to hell. This is wrong, what you guys are doing. No, we're just here to love you and let you know there's a church down the block. When you wake up with the hangover, the next day you can come right here and we're gonna love on you on that. Amen. Yeah. Uh, so today the conference is $60, but we're gonna cut it in half or 30. But I understand there's some GCU students and some uh, college students in here. Sometimes ramen noodles, sometimes we're broke uh, in that. Trust me, I know. If you say, man, Giovanni, I don't have the money, then don't worry about it. Just go to the table. We want to get you there and get inspired for your church and your community. Amen. So see us outside. We're going to be in the lobby. Thank you again.
1: Thank you, brother. I think that's such an awesome opportunity. Someone asked me between the first and second service, what has been your biggest challenge coming to, to Scottsdale? And my biggest challenge, I think, is what we put on the wall to love this town. Because it's Scottsdale, everybody's from somewhere else. So sometimes we have this feeling like we don't care if this town lives or dies because we'll just move somewhere else. People act like that. But can I tell you, we love this town. And so people come to me and say, like, oh, you know, Pastor, you got to do this, you got to do this. I'm like, man, God has given you a heart. You go do that. Like, you go for it. God has given you a dream and a vision, then do it. We want to support you. We're about that. The reason we're at Tonalea doing a huge outreach for the kids this Christmas is because people got fired up, and that's the dream and the vision. It's because of these things that we want to support and we want to encourage you. Sometimes we think it's either or. Either I have to reach my community or I'm a part of the church. Listen, if you're here, you are the church. And so there's just an opportunity. So I just want to encourage you. I know, you know, there's there's a million reasons to say, I got this, I got this, I can't do this, I can't afford this, I don't know all this. Can I just tell you, go, go to this, check it out, be a part of waves, see what's happening, get inspired. Like he's not getting rich off this. This is literally, this is literally uh, an opportunity for us as a church to get fired up. So I just want to encourage you, man, anyway that you can get there, be there, be a part. We're going to be there. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited to see. You. So just come hang out with me, and let's go. And uh, you were like, I don't know anybody. Well, you know me. Come with me, and let's go. Good? I'm going to go sign up after service. Are anyone else going to sign up? Awesome. Let's do it. That was a good woo. Hey, I'm excited that you're here today. Uh, in fact, let's do this. Before we move on, I just want to pray for Giovanni. I want to pray for the Waves Conference right now. Would you just come up, brother, real fast? I know you're in the back, so I spied you some really sharp-dressed, good-looking people in the lobby today. Sorry, ladies, he's taken. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you so much for this man of God. I thank you for how you have just placed this burning fire in his heart and how you've given him this opportunity. And God, I pray that as they take this step, God, I pray you would just open the doors. God, I pray that we would just see dreams, joseph size, big dreams just well up. God, that you would give people of all shapes and sizes and backgrounds influence in their community through the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would bless this man and his family. God, I pray that you would watch over over and protect them, I pray that you would give them an even greater outpouring because of their obedience. And these things are scary, but as we trust you and take a step, I pray that you would give him a legacy that is only defined by the Holy Spirit and that his family and everyone could look back on that like never before. So we just speak life over them, protection in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, you guys joined us uh, at the end of our series, God Never Said That. Uh, my wife spoke last week. How many of you were just blessed by Katie? She spoke on God never said that he'll, man, this one was confusing. She spoke how wrong the phrase was that God will never give you more than you can handle. There's too many negatives in it. Yeah, so she spoke on that. It was fantastic. If you haven't uh, looked um, on the website, go check it out. If you're not sure about a a church with women in ministry, it's probably going to be a tough church for you. Um, But we'll walk you through it because we love all people. And uh, Katie got a great word, and so we're just so thankful for that. Uh, But this morning, I want to share something special with you. And we're talking about these phrases, and it's been really interesting uh, talking about these different phrases in the Bible. Uh, or uh, not in the Bible, sorry, God never said that. Uh, <laughs> it's been a long day. It's been a weird day, if I'm going to be totally honest. Um, but, but as we've been talking about, is there's a separation. And if you were here, you know there's a separation between the things we say and what we intend them to mean and what they actually mean, right? There's a gap sometimes between the things we actually say, the words we say, and how they're received and how they're taken. Let me give you an example. Take the phrase, calm down. Is there ever a phrase in the English language that does the complete opposite of its intent than calm down, right? Like what you intend it to and what it actually does are completely opposite things. In fact, turn to someone next to you and just look them in the face and just really with all your gusto, just say, calm down. All right, second service, you're a little sleepy. Turn. You got to get your attitude up. Get your attitude up. Get your attitude up. Come on. Get your attitude up. And look at someone next to you and go, calm down. Calm yourself. Yeah. Calm yourself. Right? Chill. (laughs) Like, even though we were all chill and you were all very respectful and quiet, like, in that moment, you just feel, like, enraged. Even though the person, like, you've never met this person. And you're like, why are you saying this to me? Right? There's just something about this phrase that does, like, the complete opposite of its intent right? There's something about telling someone to calm down. It's like, what you really mean when you're telling someone to calm down is like, you are way too much for me. You need to back it off, (laughs) right? Give me some space. But what's funny about that phrase is what you're intending it to do is to calm the person down. Does the opposite? Uh, Listen, young men, Let me tell you something. Uh, I've been married 10 years. uh, In August, I was married 10 years, been with my wife. We dated for five, so 15 years we've been together. And what I have learned in those 15 years is if you have not had a good fight for a couple weeks, just randomly tell her to calm down. And that will just fire it right up. You will, you will be walking through your house and hear muttering, like she's in the garage, like building something, and you just hear her, they're like, tell me to calm down, calm, calm you down, calm me down in the car, to calm down, to calm your face, like, right, like, <laughs> you just hear this, like, muttering for weeks on end, you're like, what happened, what did, what did we do? It's because you told her to calm down, so young men, let me tell you, no matter how wild it gets, do not tell her to calm down, because you are about to go up 10 decibels <laughs> for calm down, um... I think there's just something about these phrases, and that's really the nature of our life. And I think more and more that we have more platforms in life, like more than any other generation, we have more platform to share our opinions and our words. And so oftentimes we defend the things we say based off of our intent. But it's not just enough. The, the words we say have power, and they speak life or death, right? Life or death and the power of the tongue. And so we should care about the things we say. And if you've been here in the series so far, then you know my issue with cliche is I think they're powerless, and I don't really think they help that much. And I think often we take these really deep theological things, and we condense them into this really cute Hobby Lobby sign, and then we're like, that's good enough for me. But I think there's often a big gap between what we're saying, what we intend, and what people actually hear and receive. Are you still with me? And so today I want to talk about the phrase because I think this phrase, more than other, has this kind of like root of truth in it, but it's not truth. And it gets really muddy really fast. And it's this. God helps those who help themselves. See, instantly some of you will be like, that's totally wrong. And instantly some of you will be like, wait, I say that all the time. Whatever whatever you are on that spectrum, I'm not here to condemn you. But there's this phrase that we have in our culture, God helps those who help themselves. And I'm here to tell you that 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 is not what God said. And 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 I understand the phrase. It's meant to to tackle the idea of idleness. It's meant to tackle the idea of hard work. And, and I get that. I'm a fan of hard work. I like to work hard. I think I hope you know as your pastor. I, I value hard work. I value grit. Like I value fight. I value endurance. I value like. You know, like, I worked a job that was hard and difficult, and I did, you know, there, I was in this path for 10 years before I got where I wanted to go. Like, I get it. I get given a decade of your life to something in grit and hard work. When I'm not working, I'm building something or digging a hole and teaching my kid to do the same, because that's how I was raised. I value hard work. But there's a problem that I have with work, is that I so often attach my worth To my work. Has anyone ever done that? You attach how much you're worth to how much you work. Not only how much you work, but how successful you are in your work. Anyone ever done that? So if you're not working, you struggle with your own worth. If you're not seeing the success that you want, you struggle with your worth as a person, your value. A lot of men I counsel, we struggle with that. A lot of guys who who will lose their job will struggle with their identity because it's so linked to work. And we like, men especially, we just become these like old men that just refuse help at any scenario, right? Like I I cut the end of my thumb off cutting carne asada because apparently the week wasn't interesting enough uh, a couple weeks ago. And so I had this thing bandaged, but then I had one of my trees split, and I'm not going to let this thing go, and I'm not going to send my wife out there to cut a tree down, so I got to cut a tree down. And, you know, I had this, like, massive, like, thing on my hand. There's a chunk missing because I couldn't sew it back on, and I'm out there trying to saw, and I'm, like, racking it every time I, like, you know, push the saw. And, but it's got to get done, right? Because <laughs> there's just something inside of me that cannot handle getting help from other people. Where are my control freaks at? Yeah, yeah right? Like, I just, I want to do it. I want to work. So I get hard work. But the hard part is that this phrase right here, God helps those who help themselves, it hits me hard. Because what it says to me and then what it taps into me is the part of me that still thinks that I have to work to earn everything. I have to work to earn love. I got to work to earn affection. I got to be worth enough, worked enough, done enough for God to help me. It taps into that part of me. And it begins to associate the blessings of God, the love of God with how much I do. And That's a dangerous place to be. To tie your value, your worth, your identity to your work, to what you do. And I think... This phrase, more than any, raises some of the biggest questions because if we look around or we say about ourselves or say about people, God helps those who help themselves, then it raises a big question for me, how much is enough help for myself till God helps? How much do I got to do before God finally shows up? How much do I got to earn? How much do I got to prove myself? How much work do I got to do? How much work does this person over here or this person over here do for God to show up? This person seems blessed, so they must have done something for God to show up. I got to tell you, that's stressful. That's stressful. It's stressful to live that way, to always got to prove yourself. And yet this phrase, it loses the power of Scripture. It confuses and it hurts because it redirects the heart of Christ away from its intended purpose. And so this morning, I want to read for you and show you what really is the heart of God. Because I think if you could get a new perspective with me, I'm in the same boat with all y'all. If we could get a new perspective, I think we would just feel the weight come off our shoulders. And some of you, the miracle that you need God to do in your life is just to take the weight off your shoulders today. Would you pray with me this morning? Dear Jesus, I pray this morning as we read your word, I pray that our hearts would be softened. I pray that our minds would be attentive. I pray that we would be open and prepared for what you want to speak. And so, Holy Spirit, we just yield this service to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you brought your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Isaiah 25. Take a second real quick. If not, the words will be on the screen, so don't stress. It says this, for you, meaning the Lord, have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. That's the Lord. That's God. That's my baseline I'm going to give you today because I want to look at this because since God never said that he helps those who help themselves, where on earth did we get this phrase? Because it's everywhere, right? Like, we've all heard this. Almost everybody has heard the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. Usually it's directed at a certain kind of people. But we've all heard this. So where does it come from? I'm going to tell you. Y'all ready for some history? Say yes. Boom. Okay. It comes from Benjamin Franklin. Be frank. And Benjamin Franklin popularized this term. It doesn't originate with him, but he popularized it in our country. It's not a lot of wise things. People love Benjamin Franklin quotes. Um, but he popularized this phrase in uh, the Poor Richard's Almanac in 1757. So it's been around for a while. Here's what it says. Let us hearken to good advice, and something may be done for us. God helps them that help themselves, in quotes. As Poor Richard says in his Almanac of 1733. So it's interesting, Benjamin Franklin shares this, you're like, oh, is that from the Bible? No. In fact, um, Benjamin Franklin was a deist. Benjamin Franklin did not believe in a personal God. He, did, he believed in God. He did not believe in a personal Christ, a personal Savior. And Benjamin Franklin did not get this quote from the Bible. This is so important. Is he actually got it from Aesop's fables through Greek mythology, So the original phrase of this, and I want to give you some context because I think it's important. The original phrase of this comes from Aesop's fables. I'm going to read it. It says this, a wagoneer, which I'm assuming is someone who drives a wagon, was once driving, nailed it, a heavy load along a very muddy way. At last he came to a part of the road where the wheels sank halfway into the mire, and the more the horse pulled, the deeper sank the wheels. So the wagoneer threw down his whip and knelt down and prayed to Hercules the strong, Oh, Hercules, help me in this hour of distress, quoth he. But Hercules appeared to him and said, Tut, man, don't sprawl there. Get up and put your shoulders to the wheel. The gods help them that help themselves. So when we say this, Christians, here's what you're actually saying Hercules the strong helps those who work. This is the phrase, right? This is when you say God helps those, you're not meaning God the Father. That's Hercules. And though it's a very interesting Disney movie, it's going to give you literally no strength to live your life uh, at all, whatsoever. Hercules is not real. It will not help you. In fact, it seems so counter to the Bible. Because the Bible is founded on God finding and helping people who are on their knees, and he doesn't find them on their knees and it's like, hey man, get your shoulder to the wagon wheel. He says, I'm gonna meet you and encounter you where you are. It's so counter. This is a pagan idea that has slid through the door of founding fatherism into the Protestant ethic of modern capitalism and forced its way into Christianity so that it affects how we deal with people who we consider less fortunate. But it's not in the Bible. God never said that. And in fact, It's pagan. God never said, get to work, and if you do enough, I'll help you. If you lift enough, if you bear enough, if you deal with enough, then I'll help you. Then you've proven yourself to me. Then you're a daughter of God. Then you're a son of God. If you do enough, then you're in. Tut, tut, or whatever Hercules said. (laughs) That's not God. That's not our God. Here's what God did say. If you have your Bibles, flip down to Luke 5, 31 through 32 says this. Jesus answered them, the religious people. He answered answered the religious people. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So let me give you the phrase, this isn't this is, this is scripture right here. This is truth, gospel truth. God helps the helpless. Pagan phrases, God helps those who help themselves. Biblical, God helps the helpless. See, Jesus ministry is founded on this. This is why I love the Giovannis here. Today. Like God helps those who are helpless. You know who the helpless are? It's all of us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? None of us can earn salvation. None of us can pay our own sin. I, I can't pay my own debt. I am helpless, and in my helplessness, God saved me. He didn't say, well, you know what? If you do three Bible studies, then I'll give you salvation. If you give this much money, Then I'll give you salvation. He didn't say if you go to church this many times. I'm going to talk about obedience in a second. So don't think you're off the hook. But (laughs) then you'll get salvation. (laughs) But he said, I help the helpless. Romans 5 says this. For while we were still weak or helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Think about that. Christ came for the hurting, the broken, the that the unwanted, the undesirable. You and I, he came for me when no one wanted me. No one wanted my soul but the devil. And Christ came for me. Ephesians 2:8 says for by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Think about that. God is saying, listen, not only do I help the helpless, but you don't have to do anything to deserve it, to earn it. You're like, I'm so unworthy. Great. It doesn't matter. He doesn't add those qualifications. He just says, listen, I came to give you salvation and new life. We say at Banner Church, we believe that every person can experience the freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus Christ. And you don't have to earn it. You're just giving it. Amen. And so I think there's danger in the phrase God helps them who help themselves because it makes us assume that we have to earn our salvation. Some of you have received salvation. You agree, yes, I need you, Jesus is Lord of my life. But you somehow think that there's something you have to prove lest he leave you. But you don't have anything to prove. It's not work, then salvation. It's Christ and then nothing else. It's just Christ. You can't help yourself to earn it. He's already given it to you. People will, will talk when we're talking about this phrase or, or help from the Lord or helping others. <coughs> People will talk about uh, the phrase, if a man does not work, he does not eat. Has anyone ever heard that phrase before? That phrase comes from Second Thessalonians 3.10. i want to read it from you. It says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command... If ever, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Someone say busy bodies. Ooh, someone say busy bodies. I like that word. And encourage in the Lord Jesus to do their work quietly to earn their own living. So. This verse is sometimes to support it, but when I look at these two phrases, they seem so dramatically different in my life that I don't understand why we tie these in in our kind of modern understanding of work ethic is that this verse was actually meant to take burdens off. It's not meant to say, if you don't work, you don't eat, and that means that if if you didn't do this certain job or work this amount, then you can't come to the table. It was actually to take burdens off because the the church, the Thessalonians (laughs) They thought Christ was coming back. And they're like, well, if Christ is coming back, I probably shouldn't work this job or do this paper or do these other things because he's coming back. And so it's like, who cares? And then the next week, he, he hadn't come back yet. And they were like, well, I'm mean, going to probably hold off on going back to work because, you know, Jesus is coming back, right? Okay? When Christ said, I'm coming back, they, meant, they thought like tomorrow. They didn't think like 2,000 years, you know, down the road. They thought like literally Tuesday. And so they quit work. And what happens when we quit work? We get idle, Right. What happens when we get off the mission? We get idle. That happens all the time. I can tell when someone's going to meet with me and talk to me and ask questions that I know they know the answer to about the Lord, but they're so messed up in their head it's because they got on mission. They got off where God was leading. And so this phrase isn't meant to put down the poor and needy or their own help. He's not saying tell the widowed mother that if she doesn't work, she doesn't eat. Right, that's not what she says. If you read scripture, you know that's not true. So what is he talking about? He's saying, listen, if there are those in the church community talking to Christians this morning, part of Banner Church, that come to the table and consume what the church has to offer but refuse to bring anything to the table, you might want to tell them it's time. It's time to serve. It's time to give. It's time to reach your community. It's time to show up more than once a month. It's time. That's what it's about. And so, again, this phrase is not trying to say, the scripture is not trying to say, listen, if you would just get to work, then God would move in the church. If you would just get to work, then God would do something in your life. If you just get to work, then Christ would love you more. That's not what this phrase is about. He's saying God helps the helpless, but our response to that help, to that love, is obedience. Religion says if I obey, then I'm going to receive love, then I'm going to receive grace, then I'm going to receive help. Relationship says, in response to this great love that I've received, I will obey. I know we don't love that word, but it's key. Because obedience brings opportunity. In the kingdom of God, obedience brings great opportunity. John 14, 15, this is Jesus. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Last week, when, when, uh, Katie shared that God, this idea of how wrong, God will never give you more than you can handle, is talked about the disciples and and how they were just given more than they could ever handle, right? Some of you are like, yes, that was literally my Friday. It's just more than we could ever handle, more than we could imagine. But God did amazing things through them. Why? Because of their obedience. They pursued after him. But why were they so obedient to God? It was because they knew his great love for them. They knew how much he cherished them, how much he valued them. None of them were, were beaten and martyred so they could hopefully get to heaven. It was a response to the kingdom that they had already received. Are you with me? Are you with me? It was a response. Again, we get it twisted when it comes to obedience is that we always try to prove ourselves and then receive. And yet God has said, listen, your obedience is just a response to what I've given you, what I've called you to, what I've invited you. That's just a relational response. It's because you love me. But it doesn't matter. You can do this, 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 this. All these things is not going to make me love you more. That's just for you. That just makes life greater for you. And I think this is so important because so often we're trying to prove ourselves. Is what I'm doing right now enough for God to finally intervene in my life? Is what I'm doing enough? Am I got it together enough for God to use me or move me or call me or fulfill the dream that he's put in my life? Maybe if I get it together, then God will fulfill the dream he's put in my life. Because, you know, I must not have what it takes to do what he's called me for as if you are a surprise to him. But God has called you. And yet we struggle. Am I good looking enough? Do I got the degree? Do I got the pedigree? Do I got the background? Do I have, you know, the future lined up? Do I got the schedule? Do I got the finances? And God says, listen, you don't have to save yourself. You don't have to call yourself and you don't have to go yourself. I saved you. I called you and I go with you. Stop trying to prove yourself to me. Oh, if I could just get this together, then God could put a dream for my community into my life. Then I could step out. Then I could go help the people at the club. But if they ask too many questions, they'll realize I'm a mess. Like, good, it's not about you anyways. God has called you to great things. Here's what's so important as we talk about obedience. And write this down if you need to, put it on your hand. But struggle does not mean disobedience. See, this is why this phrase is going to get my, as, as Paula would say, get my Greek up. Uh, <laughs> is because it creates this false connection. Because if we say God helps those who help themselves, then what happens when you are working your tail off, but you're still fighting against the wind and not seeing the fruit? What happens in your relationship when you're showing up and showing up and showing up, but you haven't seen the fruit yet? What happens in your family when you're showing up, showing up, showing up, but haven't seen the fruit yet? What happens in your dream when you're rowing against the wind, but you haven't seen the fruit yet? See, if you believe God helps those who help themselves, then the answer is you must just not be doing enough. Or you must not be good enough. But since that's a lie, since that's from the enemy, it becomes in against to attack your identity as a son or daughter of God and say, listen, there must be more that you have to do in order for God to help. But hear me, sometimes struggle is a sign that you just made bad decisions. Those are called consequences. (laughs) I've lived those in my life. But struggle is not a sign of disobedience. Open your Bible, go to Genesis, read the whole thing, and then just find a person who didn't face struggle, right? Abraham following God faced struggle. Isaac following God faced struggle. David following God faced struggle. Joshua following God faced struggles. How about Jesus Christ faced struggles? If Jesus' struggles didn't mean disobedience, then why would yours? And yet we've attached this idea in Mark 4 for the disciples. I don't have time to read it to you, so you're going to have to write it down because i got to go through all this. But Mark 4 and Mark 6, write it down, go read it later. Jesus in Mark 4 gets into the boat with the disciples. They're following him. They're with him. They cross a lake, encounter a storm. Did you know you can be with Jesus and still encounter storms? Turns out he promises it. John 16, Mark 6, he then commands them to cross the lake. You know what they encounter? Three guesses. Storm. You nailed it the first time. They encounter a storm. Like, wait, but they were listening to Jesus. And if you're listening to Jesus, then shouldn't you just get blessed with everything you could ever want all the time and never encounter struggle? And we all said amen. (laughs) Well, apparently not. Because Jesus promised to say, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I've overcome the world. See, you can be struggling and not be disobedient. And yet so often we just beat ourselves up about this. We just beat ourselves up. If I'm facing struggle, it must be because I'm broken. I'm not worth it yet. I haven't proven something to him. I don't know what this invisible checkbox is that he has for me, but once I check it off, man, that dream is coming true. I just don't see that about God. I don't see that in his word. So you know where that came from? That came from a marriage in the founding of this country between a Protestant ethic... Meaning us as Protestant Christians, Protestant ethic of blessings, and modern economic theory of capitalism of success. And both these things are fine. It's kind of like two things you don't mix. It's like peanut butter and pickles. I love both those things. I don't mix them. Same thing. Is that what we said is, okay, blessings come from God. So if I'm blessed, that came from God. So if I have financial blessing that came from God, if I have a nice car that came from God, if I have a nice house that came from God... So that means the people that have those things, they're blessed by God, they're doing right with God, they're living right. So if I don't have those things, I must not be blessed by God. If I'm going through struggle, if I'm going through difficulty, if my bank account is empty, it must be because I'm not blessed by God. Does everyone with me and understand me? Has everyone experienced this in your heart, this tension where it may, must be because I'm not this successful and I have not gone through this, that God must not be blessing me, that God not, must not be wanting to use me, that God must be waiting for me to help myself. And if I could do this or this, if I hit this step, if I go to enough conferences, if I find enough imaginary lines to jump over or draw in the sand, then God's going to release the dream in my life. But that's a lie. It was a lie to keep people isolated, forgotten, poor, and unpowerful. What I love about this generation, we're trying to break that away. And so I'm trying to break it away from your mind right now to say that struggle is not a sign of disobedience. And if you are struggling, if you are wrestling, it is not because you are worth less or you are wanted less or you are somehow less worthy. Because God values you and loves you. And see, what happens is when we begin to believe this phrase, we put myself on a ladder. Um, Emmanuel Kant would call it like a moral ladder and so everyone beneath me is lazy and everyone above me is lucky. Well sure, sure they have this house because they're this, they come from this, they came from this background, they had these kind of parents, sure, yes they're lucky and everyone beneath me is lazy. Well look what I pulled myself up through and if I could do it, why don't they do it, they just need to work harder. To see how that makes us judge of everyone? When God says don't judge, he's not saying don't use good judgment. That's important. He's saying, why are you putting yourself on a ladder of worth? Because it doesn't matter if you are a millionaire or if you live on this street corner right here. You are worth the same to God. And if you're worth the same to God, then you're worth the same to us and each other. And it, I, we do not live on a ladder. We live on a flat plane of acceptance and community and an open table. so I want to say, if you live in that space of judging and evaluating and working and proving and wrestling with am I good enough, I want to tell you of, uh, just, just a thought, and I want to ask you to do this this morning, and it's this. Take the weight off. Just take the weight off. Stop trying to prove yourself. Stop trying to prove yourself to God. Stop trying to prove your identity. Stop trying to prove your worth. It doesn't matter what grades you get. You're not going to be worth more. It is helpful for your future to do well in school. Jesus, you kids, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to misdirect you. <laughs> Trust me, you want good grades. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> But you're not going to be worth more. Doesn't mean you're blessed more. Doesn't mean you're worth more because you have a relationship or don't. Doesn't mean you're worth more because you're, you consider successful in the world's eyes or not. Your worth is non-dependent. And yet we carry this weight of trying to prove ourselves to ourselves and everyone else. I want to read you a scripture, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28. It says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Anyone heavy laden this morning? And I will give you rest. Anyone want rest this morning? Amen. Take my yoke upon you. See, we normally stop there, but I want us to keep going. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, says Jesus talking. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, get this verse 30. It's really interesting. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like, wait, I thought you just said take off the weight. Now I got to put on a burden? It doesn't make sense at all. When they would take two oxen and one of them knew how to plow, there was was at least two in the field and they would pull the plow. And if you've ever seen a field or a straight line, you understand how they would be important and together, right? You don't want to plow a field that's like this. You're going to run into some problems. And so they would take an oxen who did not know what to do, and they would put that oxen with an oxen that did know what to do, and they would put them together on one yoke. But the oxen who doesn't know what they're doing would pull against the yoke because it's a (laughs) yoke. And they're an ox. And so they would pull against. But the oxen who knew what would carry the weight and the oxen would learn and learn from the oxen who knew what way to go and where to plow and where to plant. And, and had followed the command of the person guiding the field. And so this is the imagery that's being presented is, listen, you're trying to carry the whole burden on yourself and you're just plowing in circles. And just you're just one oxen just circling around. He's saying, listen, take mine upon you. Take off this other thing that's just going around and around. Prove myself prove my worth prove my value it says hook yourself to me and I'm going to teach you how to plow the field of your future okay. hook yourself to me and you'll get rest you get alignment in your soul not sleep or maybe some of you need it you'll get alignment in your soul you'll be projected in the future you'll go the right way receive it from me see the problem is we're that solo oxen. We like to start with our own strength, plow half of a field, make a mess, and then go get him. <laughs> and then we're like, oh, Lord, why is it like this? Like, well, because you don't listen. <laughs> and that's me. I'm a work person. And I often have to tell myself, stop working for the Lord and start working with the Lord. Because all the time I'm trying to work for Jesus. Jesus does not need me to work for him, but he sure loves it when I work with him. He sure loves it when we work together, right? That's why we're able to donate like 100 shoes to Tanaleas because we worked with the Lord and what he was doing. We came along with what the Holy Spirit was doing, right? Not because we're trying to prove something to God. And yet all the time we carry this weight because we try to go our strength and then when we're at the end of ourselves, Jesus. Let me give you a new formula for your life right now. Are you ready? Jesus, then everything else. That's it. It used to be, I got to do this, I got to do this. When I'm at the end of myself, I fall on my knees and I cry out to God. And then God comes down and he says, tut man, put your, wheel, your shoulder to the wagon wheel. And it's just so broken. Because then I feel bad. Then I feel like I'm never going to earn it. I'm never going to make it. I'm just in this cycle. But what God says, he says, listen, start with me. Put your strength in me. Get your rest from me. Get your grace from me. And then use that strength to go tackle the great things that I've called you to. Go use that strength to project out into the dreams and the visions. You're going to face struggles. You're going to face trials. But let me tell you, if I'm with you, you will be strengthened. You will be secured in me. You will be whole in me. And Mark 4, Jesus is in the boat. He stands up. He calms the storm. Mark 6, Jesus gets in the boat. The storm has calm. What's the common denominator? Jesus in the boat. Right? Some of you this morning, you need to stop waiting till that boat is six feet underwater before you ask Jesus to get into it. Like he sees you rowing. Great job. You did it. But he just wants to help you and love on you like a loving father. He wants to come alongside you and support you. And it is so freeing when you do not need to carry that weight of proving yourself. Someone told you you had to prove yourself to earn their love. God is here to release you and free you from that. You do not need to earn God's love or favor. He loves you. He cares for you. Maybe you're so messed up because you didn't have a father that loved you without earning it. And so you're like, I can't even get there. I want to release you today. And just pray that the Holy Spirit would begin to move in your heart and say, you don't need to prove it to this father. You don't need to earn it for this father. Your father didn't show you the example that you needed, but God, through the Holy Spirit, wants to show you today that you don't got to earn it. You don't got to prove it. He just loves you. He just cherishes you. He wants to use you, work through you. It's so freeing when we're not judging ourselves and others, right? We're like a freeing moment when you don't have to put yourself on a ladder and judge everybody else. Walk into a room and evaluate everyone. you got to like be more victimized or less victimized than anybody else or more this or more that. You can just be you and who God created you to be. Luke 6 says this. Are you still with me? Say amen. 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 Luke 6.37 says this. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Just altar call right now. <laughs> Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Whew. What's that about? It's all about grace. Hear me, this is my last point, band, you can come up, is that God gives grace according to his character, and he asks us to do the same. God gives you grace, not based off of you, not based off what you do, not based off your work, not based off how many small groups you lead, even though I love small groups, not based off, you know, how you give, even though cheerful giving is important and crucial to the church, it's not based on how you serve, even though I believe serving is important, it's not based on how often you attend, though I believe that if you are not part of the body, you're missing out something beautiful, it's not dependent on any of that, though I think it's all important. God gives you grace based off of him, yeah. based off who he is. I'll say this again. This is your relationship with Jesus. It's Christ and nothing else. It's just Christ. But God gives us grace. Ephesians said, we have been saved by grace. It is a gift. God helps us because he's God. And then he turns it says, now it's your turn. Luke 6, he says, give and it will be given. Give grace, forgive, do not judge. Give and it will be given to you a good measure overflowing so he's saying take what little you have give that out and as you give I'm going to pour more God is like a reckless waiter at a denny's just still filling it up and it's all over the table and it's just overflowing just grace and grace and grace and grace and some of you do not have grace for other people because when it comes around you go like this you can't give what you have not received you cannot give grace if you cannot even receive it for yourself Sometimes we write it off as being tough or being, I'm just honest, or I'm kind of sarcastic. It's like, no, you're just not gracious. Why? Because we just can't receive it for ourselves sometimes. We can't just begin to believe that God loves us as us, that God accepts us, that God has plans and dreams for your life, that it doesn't matter what you did in your past, it doesn't matter what you've gone through, he's not judging you according to that, he just says I love you, I cherish you, I value you, you're special to me, you're my son or my daughter, you don't have to earn any of this. Stop coming to me like you got to prove yourself, God I did this for you, now will you? And just receive the grace. When you meet a gracious person, they have a source of grace. That source is called Jesus Christ. And if you want to give grace, you got to just start by receiving it. Because when you live like you got to prove yourself to God, you just live in tension. I'm never doing enough. I'm not good enough. So hard on yourself. Not a good enough wife. Not a good enough husband. I feel that. Does anyone else ever feel that I'm just not enough? I'm, not, I'm just not a good enough pastor. I'm just not a good enough husband. Right? like if I if I could do this, this, and this, then like God would just like open this. I'm not good enough because if I could do da 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 da, if I did da 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 da, if I did all these things, then God would intervene. Then God would do something. So then I gotta take to the internet and I gotta prove it to others on Instagram that I'm worth it. Right, I gotta show the best side of me so I show that I'm worth it. I gotta show, I, like my life is a hot mess and I really need accountability but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna post some like motivational phrase with like three other college kids and that we're having a small group but really like we've done this one time. Right, I gotta show my family like as happy as can be even though for the past three days my kid's been a monster and I questioned this decision my whole life. <laughs> but I gotta prove myself. I gotta prove it to myself. Rather than being thankful for what God has done in the church, i got to wonder why we're not at 1,000 people as if that's somehow going to prove that God's moving or not moving when in reality the life transformation he's done here has been the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Do you see how that weighs on us? You right now can think of something in your own life that just weighs on you, the relationship or the thing, and we carry these weights and we're trying to prove ourselves. But hear me this morning, God helps you because he loves you, not because of what you do. You do not need to prove yourself to God. You do not need to leave here and somehow be, like, fired up to prove yourself to the Lord. You just need to rest in him and take the weight off your shoulders. Say, you know what, God, I give it to you, and I just receive your grace. Because I'm overwhelmed, I'm overworked, and I'm over it. And I need you, Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you close your eyes with me? I'm gonna pray for two things. two things this morning one, you've never encountered the freedom the power of a new life in Christ and you're here this morning going you know what like I've just been trying to prove myself to the air, I don't even know what I'm doing but I need freedom, I need power in my life I need the love of Jesus Christ can I tell you that's a free gift for you this morning, every eye closed every head bowed, you don't need to earn it, you don't need to prove it if you are not secured in your eternity, you do not know where you're going to go at the end, I'm here to tell you right now that Jesus' arms are open for you. And I want to pray for you this morning. So if that's you and you're saying maybe for the first time or you need to recommit yourself, I'm just going to invite you in just a second to lift your hand up. If that's you and you're saying, you know what, today I'm giving my life to Christ or I'm giving my life back to Christ and I'm choosing to follow him today. If that's you, would you just lift your hand real quick, every eye closed, every head bowed. second thing I want to pray this morning is if you feel that weight on your shoulders, the weight of having to prove it, to earn it, to make it, and you felt that tension and you felt that anxiety and what you really want to leave this morning is with the rest and peace that comes from God. You want to face the struggles and the trials of the world resting secured in Him, not feeling like you've got to earn it not feeling like you got to prove your worth or your value, but just resting secure in Him. And you're saying, this morning, Lord, before I leave, I just need you to take that burden off of my shoulders. I need to take that weight off. I can feel it pressing down. I can feel it pressing down on my heart. I can feel it pressing down on my shoulders. And I just need to take that off. And so, Holy Spirit, I need you today to just lift it off of my shoulders, to lift that burden, to lift that anxiety, to lift that constant desire to prove myself, or have to prove my value, feeling like I'm never good enough, or wrestling with it, or connecting my work to my worth. I just need to lift it off, and I need the rest that comes from you. If that's you this morning, and you're saying, I want to just have that lifted off of me and receive the rest of Jesus Christ, would you just lift your hands with me this morning? I'm going to pray with you. You're saying, Lord, just take this off my shoulder just take this off my shoulders. Just lift your hands all the way up. It's like an act of surrender. If you've never lifted your hand in worship, this is this moment you're just throwing your hands up and you're saying, God, I just lift it up to you. Now I'm going to pray in this moment that the Holy Spirit begins to just speak to your heart and begins to just remove the anxiety and the fear, maybe the words spoken over you and begins to instill truth and begins to lift your spirit in your heart and begins to just speak life into you and give you the rest that comes from Christ So I'm going to pray for you this morning And as we do just lift that up to him And say God I give it to you Let's pray God I thank you that in this moment Our rest comes from you That you have not left us That you have not forsaken us That we do not have to work to earn your love That we do not have to work to earn your help That God you are not a God That helps those who help themselves You are a God who helps the helpless Who helps the hungry Who helps the needy Who helps the down and out who helps the messy, who helps the unworthy, who helps the unwanted, who helps the unproven. You are a God who pours his love out. And so I pray right now over every hand that's raised in this moment, I pray just the weight would begin to lift off. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I just speak into your life in this moment. And I pray, wait, be lifted off. The weight of anxiety removed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The weight of fear removed. The weight of having to prove yourself removed in the name of Jesus. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The weight of your identity lifted off. The weight of having to carry a certain persona, lift it off. The weight of the facade that you put around you, lift it off. The weight of carrying it for other people, lift it off in the name of Jesus. Just begin to give him that. Say, Jesus, I give it to you. I bring it before you. I surrender it before you, and I step into your rest in the name of Jesus. Let's just worship it and feel the freedom of the Lord this morning.